Welcome back to another episode of the Cycling Dips Podcast. I'm Abby Mickey, and I'm joined by the regular crew, kind of? We are missing James Wong, but we have replaced him with Ronan McLaughlin. 17-year-old, our 17-year-old. <laughs> Kaylee Fretz, how's it going? It's good. I don't have a baby yet, so if people are wondering why Abby is hosting, uh, it's just because I you know, wanted Abby to host. Practice. Ready to go. With no forward warning zero warning we no. decided as we turned the uh the google meet on this morning that abby would host today's episode you'll be great great thanks dane cash how you doing yeah doing good i like how kaylee just now said we decided uh as if it wasn't just kaylee saying hey abby you're hosting today <laughs> true this is this is a dictatorship let's be honest not a democracy <laughs> Shoddy, I love your glasses. Thank you very much. Now I'm going to just explain that 17-year-old joke. <laughs> Bef- before we started recording, um, I grabbed a copy of The Road Book, which is an absolute beast of a book. Ridiculous. And we just I was having a look, flick through it, and the Everesting section says Rowan's 17. So they got, they got one fact wrong in what's, I think, about a 1,000-page book. So fair dues to them, but it's a, it's a good one. You'll take that fact, won't you? For sure, yeah. Considering that I'm double that age, I'll, I'll <laughs> certainly take it. That's Ned Bolting's uh, roadbook for people that don't know what we're talking about. And Shadi, you're going to chat with Ned about that book soon, I think. It's basically oh, like yeah. a recap of the entire last year. It's pretty incredible. It's ace. It's been my bedtime reading for yeah. a couple of weeks. It's definitely going to be a couple of weeks more. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, Shadi, you want to tell us a little bit about Continental? Yes, I do. Right. We have mentioned the black chili compound a couple of times here on the the podcast. But what exactly is it? In simple terms, it's a a tread compound that excels in grip, speed and mileage. Right. But less simply, it's, um, it's a refined synthetic rubber mixed with natural rubber for a high performance tread mixture, all infused with... Abby, is this... Right on it, soot particles. Yeah, that's right. So like the stuff that uh, Dick Van Dyke pushes out of chimneys. Sure. <laughs> anyway, that, that, that soot particle uh, is to optimize shape and surface. The name Black Chile comes from the, the carbon, the black carbon, one of 35 ingredients that uh, goes into making the tire. And you know uh, when you eat a a nice chili, the burn sticks to your mouth. Well, that's where the chili in the black chili comes from. Mm. Uh, Continental made this compound to stick to the road, just like an extra spicy curry. Uh, <laughs> and it is, it's also exclusively produced in uh, Continental's German Korback plant, which are, as soon as lockdowns, not lockdown, all this COVID nonsense finished, I'm going to head over there and have a butcher's see how it's all made. They don't know that yet, but I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> they have no idea what's in what's in for them. Well, the black chili compound is pretty cool. They, it started with their cycling tires, but they also use it in their tires on cars, which is pretty cool. They have a whole competition based around um, the black chili compound. It's on the YouTubes. 
if anyone's interested. Here we are. Another thing. I just purchased a pair of trainers. First time in a long time because well, there's not been much walking doing during the COVID situation. Check this out. Nobody can see it on the podcast, but follow fellow viewers. Oh, wow. Man. Continental rubber on the base of the um, uh, Adidas shoes. I was well hyped when I got them. (laughs) Did you get them just because of the Continental rubber on the bottom of the shoes? Or did you find that out after you purchased the shoes? Uh, A little bit of both. A little bit of both, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much to Continental for sponsoring the podcast. And let's get into it. Dane, Kaylee, who's talking about the, the bike racing? Well, Dan's going to toss to you, Kaylee, because the news right now is it's all about the racing. There's, there's so much racing going on. We've got we've got Paris that just ended over the weekend, and Terreno Adriatico ended moments after we got on this this call here. Uh, Kaylee, you you did me the the great favor of offering to write some race reports this weekend. So, with that in on mind, day, I, will I will do you say. the favor of uh, letting you maybe talk about Paris. What happened at Paris? Uh, over the weekend, which you so closely watched that you were able to write the race report. I sure did, Dane. Watched every minute of it, and I can tell you exactly what happened. Uh, I, I maybe won't do the the full blow-by-blow, the full play-by-play, because hopefully you've already read our race report or you caught it. Uh, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal end to Perinese, uh, a surprising end to Perinese. I'll let you let you in on a little uh, little secret here. So I had to do the Daily News Digest on Sunday. And uh, it was supposed to be a powder day uh, near here, and I was going to go skiing. And so I pre-wrote some stuff for the Daily News. And that included things like, Roglic wraps up Perry Nice. <laughs> We've all been there. Uh, it, was, it, was, it, it, was, it was in the CMS, the back end of the website. It was ready up, to up, go. Up, 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 up. Are you saying that you once again have jinxed the riders, Kaylee? Oh, man, so. Kaylee. I think so. It was not detailed, right? I basically had like a headline and I'd grabbed a photo already and I was I was just trying to make my Sunday as efficient as possible. And I was like, there's no way anything, you know, he's, he's going to be fine. He's going to win the race. It'll be fine. And then I watched it and uh, that didn't <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, and I had to reread everything. So I'd saved myself zero time. In fact, I had wasted a bunch of time. Uh, Primoz Ruglic crashed twice. Uh, ended up coming in about three minutes down with... Big holes in his shorts. Uh, it, was, it was sort of a kind of lumpy circuit thing. Uh, and yeah, just just had a, a terrible, terrible day. Couldn't keep it upright. Ended up losing Perinice after coming to the final stage with a 52-second gap. Uh, Maximilian Schachmann, Max Schachmann, took his second Perinice victory in a row. Had to fend off quite a lot of attacks, particularly from Astana, uh, but did so successfully and took home the yellow jersey, which, of course, uh, is the leader's jersey in Paranese because it is owned by Tour de France owner ASO. So a, a, a thrilling final stage, a bummer of a final stage if you were a Roglic, a Roglic fan. Yeah, but uh, if you're a Shockman fan, a, a fantastic final stage though good racing all around I, I always love Pyrenees the other the other sort of thing to come out of Pyrenees and and I do believe that we need to discuss this briefly was the the prior stage the no gifts given to Gino Mater uh, this has been this has been sort of bouncing around on social media since then basically what happened was Gino Mater was part of a a, a a big breakaway. I think it was 12, 13, 14 riders. He was the last man standing. 
he was up the road uh, solo, the last of the breakaway riders. And then behind him, the GC group, slowly catching, 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 catching. And then in the final, I don't know, 300 meters, Roglic accelerated out of the GC group and passed Mater with about 10 or 15 meters to the finish line. Mater, of course, stuck his hand up in the air in some frustration, which is, uh, I almost got it and I didn't get it. And this sort of proposed the question at the end of should Roglic have essentially gifted Mater the win? Because he'd been out there the whole time and certainly like, you know, if, you, if you're rooting for the underdog, which I often do, you wanted Mater to win. Deep down in your heart, you wanted Mater to take that stage victory. It would have been super meaningful to him versus Roglic, who was taking his third stage victory of the week. The heart says, oh, just give it to the kid, right? He's 24 years old. His last pro victory was at the tour of Hainan or something like that. It would have been massive for him. But then on the other side is this is bike racing. And asking bike racers not to bike race, I think, is generally a losing proposition. And Roglic, well, as we found out the, day, the next day, potentially needed every second he could possibly get. You're not going to break check ahead of the line. This debate raged on social media. I, we, we did put a poll out. And most people said Roglic should not have waited. But I wanted to, you know, chuck it to all of you. Are there any gifts in bike racing? Well, I, I'll just start by saying that I hate watching these scenarios where there's a lone rider just coming into the line, you know, has a chance of taking it, but it's ever so close. And mostly because I've been in that scenario uh, in the Ross, the, basically the Tour of Ireland, I got caught 20 meters from the line. Um coming into my home region uh, and ultimately never won a stage of the Ross, but yeah, whatever. Um, You're not bitter so. <laughs> at all, I can tell. <laughs> Why didn't you just pedal harder, Ronan? If you just pedaled a little well, bit harder, yeah. right? I, I spent quite a long time wondering why I didn't pedal harder. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically I got caught so close to the line, I still rolled top 10 in the bunch sprint without pedaling. Uh, so yeah, it was as close as you can get after seventy kilometers solo. So yeah, I, I yeah, it just brings back those memories for me every time, and I know exactly what he's Gino Mater is going to be going through at the moment. But um, I suppose you know while while I agree, there's no gifts given, and one hundred percent agree, Roglic could not have pulled the brakes, nor should have pulled the brakes. But I question the the tactics sort of leading up to that, and that. You know, Jumbo Visma were in complete control. Roglic had a 52-second lead. You know, they ultimately decimated the peloton on that final climb and, you know, spent spent a lot of matches there that perhaps, you know, ultimately could have come in handy on, on Sunday. And there was no way they could have known what was going to happen on Sunday. But I think that's perhaps what I thought when I was watching Saturday's stage and, and thinking there's a couple of bullets that Roglic has just spent there to go so hard in the final that he didn't ultimately need to. He was in complete control of the race. And we have seen Roglic fail in the final days of, of stage races in the past. And the question's always been there as he got sustainability. I just thought that was a match that he, that he didn't need to spend hmm. so early in the season. Interesting angle there. I don't want to take us away from the gifts debate, but I feel like all, all of us, I, I think, are okay with Roglic doing that in terms of a, the gifts versus no gifts department. So in the... In the, in the question of, like, should he done it, I actually am totally fine with Roglic going for a stage win, even though he was way ahead. I, I think that makes it more okay that he goes for the stage win because people people have complained that Roglic is not the most exciting, you know, figure right now. 
and he's been at the top of the sport for two, three years, and he's done some amazing things in stage races. And yet, I don't know that he's really captured uh, fans the way that some other uh, top Grand Tour riders have. And I feel like Roglic probably wants to get more uh, wants to get more fans. He wants to get more people interested in the sport. He wants to get more people interested in the way that he rides. And we've seen for we saw for about a decade people complaining with the way that Sky rode, being boring, getting the win, getting the lead in the time trial, and then just holding on to it with their boring Sky metronomic way of riding. So I, I can kind of really I can understand why why Primoz Roglic would want to do something like really going for it, even when you're already winning, get that big stage win, get the hype. Obviously things didn't work out in the end, but I don't I don't know that the energy expended going for that stage one really would have made a difference as as bad as things were on that last day. Obviously who who will ever know. Uh, but I can understand why Roglic would want to do something like that and not be that kind of conservative and boring, oh we'll just we'll just take it easy here because we already have a huge lead. Um, so he's in that, in that sense, I feel like he's kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't go for it. Uh, either way, I feel for him. I feel for Roglic. It's sad to, it was sad to watch uh, his, you know, everything after that stage when it seemed like he was such a shoe-in to win that race. I'm with everybody here, but there is a but, I reckon, and that comes down to Grand Tours. I reckon, like we saw last year at the Tour de France, for instance, there was not a, a, a gift of a stage with the Ineos escape. Um, not far from here, actually, on the gravel route. I can't remember the blooming finish town now, even though it's 30k the away. Glare. Um, and I also think in like a grand tour situation, if you are in yellow, there's a, a good option there to give somebody a stage who may have helped you or a young upstart, something like that. We've seen it time and time again. You're going to win the tour, you're going to win the zero. Do you really need to take? multiple stage wins yeah it's nice but it's also nice to maybe keep your friends close but even keep your enemies even closer i reckon definitely in bike racing you never know when you're going to need them down the road at another race one thing that was interesting to see was the actual support that he got from rival team riders on sunday after he had the the, the couple of incidents that he had he got he got a lot of support from a lot of different writers in that final climb. I think that speaks volumes of how he's received within within the peloton. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and even after the after the end of the race, when Maximilian Schachmann had won and said to the media that it wasn't the way that he would have wanted to win, even then they they fist bumped. They couldn't hug, obviously, but they were very friendly to each other after the race. I think that that says a lot about Roglic and a lot about there's so much. High, um, so many questions about how is he going to bounce back from this? Like this is the second time he's had heartbreak, uh, with only one day remaining in a, in a bike race in a major bike race. But I think that there's no, there's no question in my mind that he's going to bounce back. No problem. Yeah, for sure. For another go. I mean, a little bit of historical perspective the, the pure gifts are actually quite rare in cycling. I, you know, I think back that there's been a couple over the years, um, Jalabert in the Vuelta in 1995, uh, just purely gifted. It's almost almost an identical scenario, actually. Purely gifted. Uh, Dietz, uh, what was his first name? Bert, I think. Dietz, uh, like just came up behind him on the line and just let him just let him go. Right. Th- that that was another sort of big, big, big star versus relatively small name says, okay, you can have a stage win because I don't need it. I I have got, you know, a million other victories to my name. 
but there's really not that many other pure gifts in the last like 20, 30 years. It's, it's relatively rare. What isn't really rare is the sort of collusion, basically, which is when you've got two riders off the front, one's going for the GC. And I mentioned this in the story that, that I wrote. One's going for the GC, one's going for the stage, right? And the stage hunter knows that the GC rider is going to ride as hard as they can. So also knows, therefore, that they can kind of just sit on if they want to. They take a bit of a risk that they might get caught if they just sit on. So what the GC rider can do to try to get even more time is say, all right, stage hunter, if you work with me, I'll give you the stage at the end. Uh, and that happens, that kind of stuff happens all the time. But that's a very different scenario than what we were talking about at Perinice, where, you know, Gino Mater was not taking pulls for Roglic. There was no, yeah, there was no collusion on, uh, at the front up there. Uh, I think we're all pretty, pretty much in alignment here. Uh, Roglic did the right thing. It's bike racing. It does break your heart a little bit. Just like if we had watched Ronan get caught uh, with 15 meters to go, we, wa- we would have been sad for him. I'm still sad for you. But, you know, you can't expect the, <laughs> you can't expect the bunch to, to hit the brakes for you. It's never going to happen. Hey, there's also one other famous gifted stage or not gifted stage, depending uh, at what rider you believe. And that was the Armstrong Pantani one from on top of on two back in 2000. Armstrong claims he gifted Pantani the stage. Pantani. Pantani says the. Pantani said. Pantani said the opposite, though. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's that's a, that's also a different scenario because you got two big names, right? So, yeah, it's that was a little bit of mind games, perhaps. There's a couple other takeaways from Perinice, I think, that we could just like really briefly mention. Um, one of them is. I'm I'm really really impressed with Matteo Jorgensen, the young uh, American rider on Movistar. Um, to finish eighth in the GC is really impressive. Um, also, Shadi, I can't believe that you didn't say this before. Guillaume Martin finished sixth. <laughs> he looked a broken man after the last stage, didn't he? <laughs> I think a lot of them looked pretty broken after the last stage. No, that was fantastic to see. That was. Um, and then Sam Bennett was really, really impressive all week. I think he's really shown that he is kind of the best sprinter, the best sprinter that we have right now in men's cycling. Yeah, there really, there was a period of maybe a year and a half ago where it seemed like it would be Bennett and maybe, uh, Grudewegen, Fernando Gaviria, um, maybe Eli Viviani was looking really strong. Uh, other than maybe Caleb Ewan, it's that's pretty much it. I mean, no, nobody's really st- stood up to Bennett in the last year. Uh, he's he seems like the pretty clear guy. Uh, he maybe he and Caleb Ewan right now. That there's not as much of a big question about it as maybe I thought there was going to be a year ago. Obviously, Grunewagen hasn't raced. Viviani has not had it, and neither has Gaviria. Gaviria's had some injuries, um, but he's also just hasn't been quite at the level that we'd expected. So that didn't help. Uh, that definitely was rough for him. Uh, but even before that, he had had some crashes and, and was just not racing at the same level. Uh, so I, I'm not sure that I expect him to quite reach that level anytime soon. I guess we'll find out. But yeah, Bennett looking really strong. Um, yeah. Astana also had two guys on the podium, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Vlasov and Yanis Zagira. And Vlasov is a rider I think that is is that they can be really excited about. Russian rider, 24. And he had a really nice 2020 season, uh, first year at the World Tour. And I think he's a name that we're going to hear a lot more moving forward. Uh just really good all-around rider. And then also two Aussies in the top 10, by the way. Lucas Hamilton, Jack Haig, and Ben O'Connor was up there 12th. So nice outing for our Australian friends. 
Something that was really interesting about Perry-Nice this year, it seemed that because of the overlap with Terreno Adriatico, we did see a lot more young riders in the top 10 of the GC and kind of around there in the stages. Um, just with the two races overlapping so much and so many of the big names at Terreno Adriatico instead of at Perry-Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think we'd usually see a lot more big names at Perry-Nice, but not this year, it seems. One last take, one last takeaway. Max Shackman's a nice bloke and he's got a nice bike. If you want to know about both, go over to the YouTube channel because I interviewed him just before, uh, a couple of days before Paris-Nice. So yeah, if you want to know about his bike, go check his bike out. Real nice fella. Sorry about the plug there. No, I mean, like, we didn't re- we didn't really mention much about Max Shackman. This is, he's won it now twice in a row, Paris-Nice, which is really impressive and he he may not have won it the way that he wanted to win it but you still have to be really consistent and be riding really well all right moving on healthy aging tour so the healthy aging tour took place last week it was a three-day stage race for the women and it ended up being a really exciting race the first state because of the covid restrictions um this is one of the first races they've been able to have in the netherlands for like a year a lot of their big races have been canceled and from talking to some of the riders, the all of the pr- restrictions and the COVID protocols that they had to they had to do in order to race were insane, but they did get to race. And the first stage was many many laps of an F one track. I'm pretty sure it looked f- some kind of car boring. racing track. It TT. looked fairly boring. Yeah, yeah, um, but it was the the final was really crazy the final sprint there was a chicane and because there was a rider off the front until very near the end and then the chicane into the finish Lorena Weebus just was going way faster than Alice Barnes who was who was kind of leading it out and ran into the back of her wheel and just did this insane tumble um it was kind of a miracle that no one crashed into her on the ground but really glad that she's okay because that it looked it looked gnarly on the live coverage the second day the time trial the winds were insane they ended up postponing the stage multiple times and finally they decided to have it merc style um completely unsurprisingly ellen van dyke won the time trial with lisa brownauer taking second and emma norsgaard who i actually wrote something about on uh, cyclingtips.com what a great website today because (laughs) um she's really proved to be an incredible rider this year she's had some some really close performances and the time trial combined with the third stage which if no if you didn't watch the third stage i highly recommend you go on youtube or gcn plus or whatever and watch the third stage because it was just madness the weather was horrendous everybody was really aggressive it was laps of the vanberg which is where the ronda van drenta is usually held and also where they had the dutch national championships last year um so it really favored the dutch riders and lonica unikin won the final stage after being in the break all day it was a really impressive ride by the young sd works rider ellen van dyke narrowly barely held on to the GC and Lisa Brenauer made a really good go. She only lost it by six seconds in the end um, with Nemo Norsgaard taking third in the general classification. So just, a, it was just an amazing race all around. I love that Van Berg circuit. It, it's like, it's totally, 
it's, it's basically fake for the purposes of cycling, right? I mean, you, you come in and then you go up that hill that's, that's just cobbled for no reason, right? And, and in the whole thing is an old, I think, like trash heap or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a trash dump that's been cut grass over and then random roads everywhere. Yeah, it's it's great. It's just a big, big bike racing playground. And some of the photos from that are also pretty incredible. Uh, the, the cobbled climb there in the rain, uh, it was it was yeah fantastic racing, uh, and I just I, I think that that circuit is is potentially a model for sort of I don't know something else cycling can do right you can build you can build things for cycling that that make for good racing that's a perfect example of one. I think for a race like the Dutch National Championships and the final day of a stage race and and even a one day race this circuit is amazing and. It's because the climb is steep and hard, plus there's cobbles at the top of it. So if you make it into a loop like they did in the final stage, it really breaks the legs slowly over time. And you saw the peloton just slowly getting whittled down, like one by one riders were just exploding. And then as they came off the top of the climb, it was really fast. So for those who kind of couldn't keep couldn't hold on on the climb it was really hard for them to catch up on the descent because of how fast the peloton was going and then they take a left turn and usually in the netherlands those tiny tiny little roads that they that they go on to go around the base of the the trash heap to get back to the climb there can be crosswinds and stuff there the roads are really narrow so in general it just makes for amazing racing and it's kind of a bummer that ronda van drenta is um is postponed to later in the season because they could have it now i think they proved with this race that they were able to there were no fans the course was closed it's really easy to close a course like that um and and they could in theory have the race i guess the benefit of postponing ronda van drenta is that hopefully spectators can come in the future because what does happen on that climb is you get just tons of people and and they sell tickets and stuff and everyone's drunk and it's a really really good time so yeah and anyway healthy aging tour was really impressive this year goodbye Grayson. yes now trainer adriatico it just finished like 20 minutes ago it did who wants to talk about it it did yeah about it no dane (laughs) you talk about it okay uh I did. I did happen to watch the, the time trial that just occurred. Uh, so the race, yeah, it's been a it's been a real showcase for some of the most exciting, the biggest names in men's cycling right now. We've seen uh, we've seen stage wins from Wat van Aert, Julian Alaphilippe, Mathieu Vanderpool, uh, Tadej Pogacar, and yeah, I think it's really been uh, an exciting few days. Uh, the way that some of the stages have gone down, the the way that Mathieu Vanderpool, for instance, won a stage. Would you call that a long-range attack, uh, Kaylee? Yes, I would call that. Hold on. That wasn't a long-range attack. What, what Ronan does is a long-range attack. 70-odd 70 miles out, was it, Ronan, it at the Rast? 76 kilometers, but I think Vanderpool went for 70, so, you know, almost as, as good, but I suppose he stayed away. So well, Tadej Pogacar probably gifted him the win, though, at the end. So is it really, does it really matter? <laughs> uh, yeah. We've come full circle. On, yeah, on Sunday, uh, Matthew Vanderpool put an attack from way, way out there and held on, and he just looked shattered. I mean, he was... He was beat at the end, but he managed to hold on to take the, the stage win, uh, his second of the race, uh, in, yeah, in what has been just a great race all around. Uh, Tadej Pogacar, though, has, 
he, he took the lead on stage four and just held on to it. And there, you know, there are a lot of really strong riders in this race. It's a really high caliber field of GC guys. I think if you look at some of the names on the start list, you'll be, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lot of Grand Tour stars uh, on the start list. Tata Pogacar, though, stood high above all of them. Second overall in this race, though, was Wad Van Aert, and that was the rider who gave, you know, Tadej Pogacar the, the most competition in the race. It, it still didn't end up being actually that much competition. Pogacar won by over a minute, but Van Aert won two stages in the race. Uh, he won the opening stage, which was a bunch kick, and then he won the final stage, which was a time trial, and he finished second overall. So while Tadej Pogacar gets, you know, the highest praise for winning the whole race, you got to hand it to Wad Van Aert for winning a time trial, a bunch kick, and the uh, runner-up honors in a week-long stage race that had, you know, high mountains in it and, and also a time trial. So he can really obviously do it all. We saw this last year at the Toro where he, he was able to do it all. But this is this is the best stage racing performance we've ever seen from Wat Van Aert. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't think he's really done anything even close to this in the past, coming second in a, in a race like Torino Adriatico. That is, that's something else. So really impressive from Wat Van Aert. Uh, Tadej Pogacar taking the win pretty pretty handily, but Van Aert winning the time trial at the end and coming in second. Uh, Mikael Landa came in third in the overall, almost four minutes down. Uh, he was closer, but the, the race did end with a time trial, so it follows, therefore, that he would not be close at the end of the race. He did not do a very good time trial, unsurprisingly, uh, but he did manage to come up on the podium. And then uh, Egan Bernal finishing fourth. Nice to see him uh, if not back to, you know, Tour de France winning form, he certainly has come back a long way from where he was last year when he was feeling pretty rough with his back issues. Uh, so he looks to be on track for a nice season so far. Yeah, just to put uh, Wout Van Aert's ride in context. So Saturday was a big mountain stage. Uh, Pogacar won. There were lots of attacks from other other sort of GC contenders, including uh, Garrett Thomas went for it at one point. Egan Bernal went for it at one point. Wout Van Aert finished above both of them, uh, finished ahead of both of them on that particular stage. Granted, he basically, Wout Van Aert hit the bottom of the final climb and just did his own thing. Did, did, didn't care at all what anyone else was doing. He knew exactly the power that he could do. He didn't respond to any of the attacks from the little climbers. He's like, I weigh 20 kilos more than you. I'm just going to do my thing back here. And it worked. He finished ahead of a whole bunch of... Well, riders that you would think would finish ahead of him on a climbing stage. So massively, massively impressive ride. Uh, for me, you know, I, I kind of expect, we expect Wout Van Aert to, to win a bunch sprint. We we maybe even expect Wout Van Aert to contest in the time trial. That stage for me was the one that was, it, it was a, it was another level, right? We, we saw him climb really well at the Tour de France last year, but he at, at some point he would get dropped, right? He, he was off and, and, you know, the rest of the GC guys would keep going. On Saturday, he was one of the GC riders on on a quite steep finish climb. Uh, just massively impressive uh, for a guy of that size. I, I can't, you know, to do six six plus watts per kilo for 20, 30 minutes uh, at whatever size he is, like that's just wild. And it's just a couple of weeks after his coach has said that he needs to lose a couple of kilograms from the cyclocross season, so... You know, perhaps it's going to get even more astonishing. Yeah. Now that the 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 one thing to keep in mind is, one week stage races are not Grand Tours, right? You know, the third week of a Grand Tour is all is a lot about how efficient you've been throughout the entire 
three weeks. And when you are a bigger rider like that, it's really hard to be super efficient over all the little climbs, all the many, 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 many climbs throughout something like a Tour de France. So, you know, it's not like we're talking about Wapenart becoming a tour contender, but he is certainly a one week stage race contender. No question in my mind for now. And, you know, in the future, who knows? There's also the the sort of question of where in the year we are. I mean, Juan Fonart really wants to be at his best right now. He's got Milano San Remo coming up, where obviously he wants to win the race. Uh, Tadej Pogacar, that's not what he's focused on. I mean, he's focused on the Tour de France. Uh, Egan Bernal focused on the Giro. He would not want to be at his best right now. This is like the worst time to be at your best if you've got the Giro coming up. You want to w- save that for you know a month and a half here. So we'll you know it, we'll we'll see how well Fanart would would do in a situation where everybody was at their peak form all the other sort of GC favorites are at their peak form but nonetheless this is not this is not nothing i mean this is not a race that you just uh accidentally win unless there's some kind of crazy weather situation like when Greg Van Avermaet won a few years ago because they canceled the queen stage this is not the case this year there were some really hard mountain stages and and Van Aert, you know pulled off the runner up honor anyway I agreed yeah but you know it's still incredible that he beat um, Filippo Ganna in the time trial today. First time Ganna has been beat in a time trial for over a year, I believe. And he also beat the bunch sprinters on the first day. <laughs> so he's, uh, yeah, it's, it just seemed to dominate across all the different um, aspects of, of the race. And, you know, as well, having seen Wout van Aert take two stages, Van der Poel take two stages, uh, Pogaccia take a stage. Yeah, it was just uh, incredible racing for the full week, wasn't it? I think one of the best moments for me was the stage that that Kaylee wrote about, um, I think it was Friday, when Alaphilippe let, let Seabar go a little bit. And the fact that Wout van Aert, who was in the leader's jersey at the time, did not even hesitate a little bit to jump on that move when he didn't really need to. I mean, he he lost the stage because he jumped on that move, but he, as a GC rider at the race, there was no hesitation in just pulling back Stebar. And that's not something we see from general classification riders often. They're very conservative. They don't... Um, they don't think they do think for themselves. That's maybe not the right way to put it, but they're they're not just going to go race on pure instinct. And that's something that Vanderpool and Wout Van Aert and, and even Julian Alaphilippe, um, to an extent, although it doesn't work in his favor as often, I think is the other two is it's something that is really exciting about, about these riders. Tangent. I have a tangent. Uh Oh, are we seeing the end of the hyper-conservative GC rider? I hope so. The end of... And this is sort of defined by Sky over the last decade. And, and previously, uh, we had kind of a, a mixed... Sort of the late... Uh, you know, 2005 to 2010 kind of post-Armstrong era was a little bit more... A little bit less conservative, conservative I would say. You had like Contador and Schleck who were not particularly conservative, for example. Uh Armstrong tended to be relatively conservative, really. Uh, you go back to Indurain, super conservative, right? So we've had, with 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 just a few years of exception, a pretty conservative couple decades of GC riding. But all the GC riders right now, the ones coming up, don't feel like they really want to fit that mold. They don't want to race that way. We've got Pogacar, who attacks every single time he has an opportunity. We have Bernal, who has been 
you know, attacking at Strada Bianchi, racing one-day races, attacked a bunch of times on Saturday at Torreno. Uh, we've got, well, Welfenart, who's not really a GC guy, but is certainly uh, mixing things up. We've got Julian Alaphilippe, who maybe could be, you could say, is kind of the the was the catalyst for this. You know, his his Tour de France a couple years ago showed that you could be an aggressive, fun racer and still do quite well. You know, obviously he ended up losing that yellow jersey, but he 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 just thrilled the cycling public and turned himself in, into an even more massive superstar with the way that he rode as much as the actual results, right? And I think that we've got this this group of young talents coming in that isn't super interested in just playing the very, very conservative GC game. And as a result, I'm kind of expecting Grand Tours to be a little bit more fun over the next couple of years. I mean, Roglic is probably maybe the most conservative of the major GC riders right now. And even he loves to hit out in the last 500 meters of a, of a stage. Uh, he doesn't tend to hit out at the bottom of the climbs uh, so much that like, you know, Pogacar or maybe Bernal do. But yeah, is this, is this a bit of a turning point? Are we seeing the end of the, you know, slow burn, stick your entire, entire team on the front and just leave, you know, your GC gutter for last. Is that, is that going to be over this year? <laughs> I think it's these young young kids who they've all, they've all watched Sky, haven't they? They've grown up through the, the dull era and gone, I'll have none of that, thanks. Let's make things exciting. But not all honesty. It's like even Sky this year, sorry, Sky, even Ineos this year um, have said that they're going to race more... Brailsford said that on this podcast. He announced that on this podcast. That they wait, did he actually say that on this podcast, Kaylee? He did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying that like his 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 whole thing about like I want to create a team that I would be a fan of as a nineteen year old is is happening, right, Jody? Yeah, but you've got to wonder if like he's seen this, other teams have seen the Alaphilippe situation two years ago, where, yeah, he didn't win the yellow jersey, but he was the story. He was uh, across every newspaper. And it wasn't just because he was in yellow. It was because of the way he was riding. And you've got to wonder if all these managers, directors have gone, actually, the, the people that pay the money to the teams have gone, right, we want to see our name on the front page in the magazines, on the TV, on the websites. You've got to wonder if this is how we're going to go about it. Yeah, yellow jersey after three weeks of riding, is something. But if you want to get in, if you want to get the coverage, you want to get people excited. Is this what they're, they're yeah talking about back end? Yeah, we've got to get people excited. We want to get people talking about our riders and being boring is not going to have people talking about our riders, which is not getting your name out. I'm going to play devil's advocate here because. Earlier, I, I basically said that Roglic should have been more conservative on <laughs> the second last stage of Paris-Nice. Uh, and and while I think I, I much appreciate the attacking style, I think Pogaccia has a lot uh, to do with that. You know, if we think back to last year's Tour de France, he was already attacking on the Paris sword stage in the, in the, at the tail end of the first week. So, yeah, I, I, I love to watch that style of racing. But at the end of the day, this is professional sport. And I think... You know, uh, I'll I'll believe the Ineos uh, aggressive racing style when I see it at, at the Tour de France. Uh, I think there's still still a lot to to see there. I I agree. I think that it, it as much as I love watching this style of racing, and I hope it doesn't change. There is still 
doubt in my mind that if we get to the Tour de France and Ineos loses it, they might revert back to the way that they've ridden in the past because the yellow jersey does is more valuable than having fans love your team when it comes to finding sponsorship and when it comes to give it, getting money for the team. I, I'm glad that Brailsford said that. I think it'd be great to see Ineos ride that way more. But I also think he kind of said that out of necessity. I mean, they, they didn't win the Tour de France. They didn't come close to winning the Tour de France. They don't have Chris Froome riding several levels higher and, and a whole team around him riding several levels higher than everybody else. I mean, they kind of don't have a choice. Why would you ride in a metronomic style if you're going to ride for 27th place? Uh, so I, I, I'm a little cynical about that in that I think, yeah, if they had a real contender for the Tour de France, I don't think they're just going to send riders five, seven, and eight up the road for funsies. That's just not going to happen. Uh, they're going to they're gonna try to control the race as they always have because that's what wins, and we all know that. So when we get to the Tour, we'll see. I, I think that essentially you end up with, at, like, yeah, you, you, can, you can tell riders to do this all you want, and... You know, some riders will, and that's their sort of natural style. But the second they lose a Tour de France because they they made one too many attacks, we stop seeing it, right? Because the like you said, it, it is it is not really the way to win a Tour de France. Uh, it is certainly a more entertaining way to race a Tour de France as a fan, from our perspective. But if you really want to win the Tour de France, conservative is still probably the way to do it. And so it'll probably swing back and forth, right? A bit of a pendulum here. We're going to see riders be more aggressive, and then it's going to kind of bite them in the ass maybe a little bit and they're going to swing back toward conservative but if that gives us a couple years of really good bike racing here i am all all for it agreed i mean i think we all want good bike racing shall we move on to less savory topics speaking of team sky and richard freeman dane yeah uh we had a we had a verdict from the medical practitioners tribunal service uh richard freeman the former uh team sky and british cycling doctor who was, yeah, ahead of, uh, in, in front of the tribunal uh, after having ordered testosterone to British Cycling Headquarters back, well, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, the, the tribunal, yeah, delivered a verdict after having, uh, I mean, the trial, the, the, the whole thing took like two years. Uh, there were a number of postponements and adjournments over the last two years. They saw a few different witnesses to talk about what had happened. Uh, Freeman had not denied Ordering this testosterone, um, he had admitted to, I think, 18 of 22 uh, charges related to this specific incident, Um, but he claimed that he had ordered the testosterone not to give it to an athlete, as was sort of uh, alleged, uh, but instead to treat erectile dysfunction uh, for Shane Sutton, who he said, uh, quote, bullied him uh, into doing so. yeah, so after this lengthy process, uh, the tribunal decided or it, it, it deemed Freeman guilty of having uh, ordered this testosterone for an unnamed rider. There was, you know, no no specific rider. No nobody has been named, uh, but they they basically found him guilty of having ordered the testosterone, uh, knowing or believing. I think was the quote, knowing or believing it would be for an athlete on the team. Can we talk about one, um, how ridiculous this is, and two, how monumentally stupid you would have to be to order a box of testosterone to the Manchester Velodrome, which is what he did, <laughs> and it showed up there, and then, oh, I don't, yeah, 
now we have to figure out who uh, who we're going to say this is for. This, just this whole thing is an absolute farce, and uh, I'm I'm glad that we're sort of nearing the end here. But uh, man, just yeah, ridiculous, stupid. You can't really believe anything that anybody is saying in any of these testimonials. I think the fact that the end conclusion is that this was purchased for a rider. I think we can probably put some some faith and trust in that. Unfortunately, we don't know which rider. Uh, but yeah, a box of testosterone patches showed up to British Cycling uh, at a time when, well, the team was about to start dominating cycling for about five years, six years. So take from that what you will. It's lots lots of people that appear to be trying to sort of cover their tracks or, or you know, push, push interest in, and uh, suspicion elsewhere. And the whole thing just just stinks to high heaven. Uh, I'm just I'm a little I'm a little over it. Like, yeah, first of all, it took so long to get through this thing, and second, I don't really I don't trust a damn word that anybody anybody any piece of testimony from the entire process basically because it's all contradictory. So how do you wade your way through that? If it's all contradictory, somebody most of them are lying. Right? That's the only possible way. <laughs> if every single person that spoke is contradicting the others. Fascinating. Uh, fascinating. All right. So final bit of news is more more racing. We have the first monument of the season coming up this weekend for the men and also the next race in the women's world tour calendar, Trofeo Alfredo Binda. Dane. Do you want to talk about Milan San Remo a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, it is it is a big race. It is a monument. It is a very, very, very long race that lasts, feels like 25 hours or so if you watch from the beginning. Uh, the Most of the action really happens in that last hour. Uh, and I have to say, it's a race that, generally speaking, has been a sprinter's race for many, many, many years. But the last few few editions of this race have been fantastic and have kind of changed my perception of San Remo. Uh, I'm not the... I mean, if, if, if I were to rank monuments, it would not be in my top two. Uh, and I'm not sure it would be in my top three. So I would, I would say the last few years, though, San Remo has really done a lot to make me kind of second-guess that because of the, the amount of late attacks that have worked out, the amount of tension. Uh, it's, it's been really great. And this year we've got so, so many... or. or you should second okay. guess that. Well, you that think it's ahead of. You should second guess It's that. definitely not ahead of Flanders that or Roubaix, right? I mean, it's, it's, an incorrect, it's clearly incorrect not ahead of Flanders opinion. or Roubaix. So, and it, it's got to be either third or, or fourth, it's right? Probably third. I th- I think it can beat. I think it can beat both on a good year. It can beat both those because the the excitement is just so compact. At MSR, it's all—it's literally you could just completely ignore the I mean, entire. I mean, I completely agree, and that is exactly ago. why it is not <laughs> as good as Roubaix or Flanders. But I, yes, but it is—it's there's so much happens in that you—it's so much that last 15, that 15 minutes. minutes that yeah, it may be the best it, 15 minutes across any race on the calendar. Uh, and you know what? Never, you know what? Never happens at MSR is somebody just escapes with like 50 true. kilometers to go, that's and true. the you race don't get is, yeah, is that's over, true. and you're like, well, we can now take a nap and Although, not just finish. Yeah, it's always some very talented riders this year, and we've talked about how great they've been over the past few weeks. And I think we're going to get into the great battle uh, coming up. Your your two shortest odds for San Remo, unsurprisingly, Matthew Vanderpool, Wild Fun Art, but Julian Alaphilippe also up there. He's been up there at this race before, obviously, and 
who knows, maybe it comes down to a sprint and Sam Bennett wins. So it, there's a lot of excitement about it, I think, and a lot of reason to be happy for this race coming up. Uh, I'm looking forward to those last 15 minutes, even if I may not watch the first several hours. Seven hours. <laughs> On the women's side, we have <laughs> Trofea Alfredo Binda, which is a much more exciting race than Milan San Remo. It's really hilly. It has come down to a small bunch sprint in the past, but it has also come down to a solo rider. In 2018, Kasha Niwadoma won it solo, and it is probably one of my favorite races of all time, actually. Um, going into the weekend, I think a couple riders to watch. I mean, SD Works, the entire team, all of them, they're all riders to watch. If you're wearing an SD Works jersey, you can probably win this race based on how they've been riding for the last couple weeks. Um, Kashini Wadoma is really out for blood after her, uh, bad, bad luck maybe isn't the right way to phrase Strada Bianchi, but she was having leg cramps. Um, so her form is there, but she did, she was really upset after Strada. So she'll really want to come back fighting. And I think Laura Capecchi, if she can, if she can hold on, on some of those climbs and it comes down to a small bunch kick, she really has the speed and it's a little bit of a like falls flat uphill to the line that Corinne Rivera has won. Um, it's, it's a, it's a weird race. It's a lot of riders can be favorites for it, but it totally depends on how the race is, is raced any given year. Tangent. I've got a couple of them today. It's not really a tangent, actually. It's just loops. The last two things we talked about together. Currently, there are a bunch of regulations in women's cycling that you can't have particularly long one day races or races period. Uh, and, they don't really make a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, I think that generally uh, women can ride more than like 150 kilometers. Happens all the time. <laughs> and I don't really get why the UCI has decided that that is the maximum for, I think it's one, is it 140? Anyway, it's not particularly long. How great would it be is if the way to sort of bust that out of, uh, out of existence, bust that particular rule out of existence, which you could argue either way that, that maybe the, Maybe short stages are better, more exciting, etc. But regardless of that argument, I think it's just stupid that the rule exists, period. Uh, what if there was a women's MSR? 270 kilometers or 300, 301 kilometers? 301 kilometers? What's what's MSR these days? It, well, it changes because they keep by having like 10 every, time, every for, year. You know, various reasons. Right. It's like 290 something. Yeah. Anyway, 300-ish. Yeah, 300-ish kilometers of Milan San Remo. Uh, ignoring the the argument as to whether the first seven hours of that race are just boring and stupid, uh, which I don't agree with. I think that you need the first seven hours to make the last 15 minutes what they are. No. Wouldn't that be sweet? Wouldn't it be sweet yeah, if we had a women's MSR? I, it's 299 kilometers, Mons and Remo, this year. Um, but I think that I agree with your point about the fact that there are rules about how short or how long a race can be. Um that just doesn't make any sense in this day and age. Like, just just get rid of it. Like, it, it just is unnecessary. But I think that you would have a hard time finding the finding enough women who would want to race a race that long. I think that you would have like Brody Chapman and um, Anamique Van Vluten on the line, and that would pretty much be that would be the only two people that would sign up for this race. <laughs> like, the women actually. Well, most of the women that I know um, 
really like the shorter races. They like that their races are shorter. It makes their races more aggressive. Of course, they can race the longer distances, but they don't really see the need to because when you make the races longer, it also neutralizes a lot of the racing. And yes, the reason to have these long races is because it's a race of attrition, right? You have to be able to get through the first 270 kilometers to race the final 29 kilometers. But for the women, it just isn't how they race. And the way that they race is so exciting. I would really hate to see that change just to kind of prove a point that the women are able to race 300 kilometers. Here we go. How about mad idea? Shoddy idea. You ready? Women's Milan San Remo, but run it like Bordeaux Paris used to be run. So the first 200k is behind Dernies. Is behind what? Oh, like motorcycles. Dernies. Like, mo- Just yeah, like, like you see on the, the peloton of 180 guys motor pacing? <laughs> maybe not Maybe not that Put many. Put them on a bus. Maybe not that done many. that before. It was still a good race. <laughs> <laughs> see, Abby, I, I understand the argument that, that you know, like women's racing is better mm-hmm. for being shorter, right? I and I agree in general, but like we don't really know, right? Because like MSR is good because it's that long. If you if MSR was 130 kilometers, 150 kilometers, then those last climbs wouldn't be enough to. It would be a sprint every single mm-hmm. year, right? But because you add the distance, it changes the dynamic completely, and we just don't really know. Yeah, we just, I mean, that, that you don't you don't know what it's going to do every year in the men's peloton. We certainly don't know what it would do in a women's peloton that we've never seen. I mean, it would be race it. It would be so an interesting be cool. science experiment. I think a lot of the riders, their initial reaction when you say like, "Oh, we're going to give you a three hundred kilometer long bike race," they're like, "Ah, no." <laughs> just a thought. It's a good. Just it's a, a tangent. You know, I was. Yeah, I just yeah. think it would be interesting, it, you know, throw a wrench in the works for sure. I mean, it would be as a, as the only race of that of anywhere near that length of the entire calendar. That would be kind of strange, right? You'd have the riders mm-hmm. don't train for yeah. it right now. Uh, and they would have to shift up their training and do much longer rides and things like that to, to really, you know, the men have a series of, of events that are all in that sort of 250 plus range. Uh so you kind of have to do a bunch of them at once, maybe. That's, that's but, why I think that anyway, Anamique would be thought. the only one who would be excited because she's the one who rides 300 kilometers a day anyway. All right. Tangent over. Before we move on, we would not be here without the generous support of our Cycling Tips Velo Club members. Thank you to all of you out there. So if you have been sitting on the fence about joining us, let us help you out. Sign up as an annual member during the month of March, and you will receive one of our custom Rafa X Cycling Tips caps. That's usually 40 bucks, mailed to your door with a copy of our annual journal, which is gorgeous. Just head to cyclingtips.com slash sign up to sign up on our website. Thanks to all of our Velo Club members. You're the best. All right. It is time for Nerd Nuggets. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. James Wong is not here, so we have called in Ronan McLaughlin to talk about the news in tech. Today, the new Wahoo Speedplay pedals. Ronan, tell us about 
this new development. Yeah, Wahoo have uh, finally announced their their Speedplay range. As we all know, Wahoo acquired Speedplay just about two years ago now, uh, and there's been a lot of uh, rumor and speculation about what that meant for the for the popular lollipop style brand of pedals. Uh, and the news today is that Wahoo has announced four standard pedals uh, Nano, which is a titanium spindle pedal, super light version, carbon composite body, and the Zero, which is a stainless steel spindle body or spindle pedal, the Comp, which is a bit of a budget friendly option, and the Aero, which I think was an originally designed way back for Bradley Wiggins' our record attempt and made its way onto the road and firm favorite with time trials, time trialists, and road racers. On top of that, though, the biggest news is undoubtedly the PowerLink Zero. And there had been a lot of speculation as to whether Wahoo would create a power meter pedal or not. And the news today is that they have indeed. It won't be available, unfortunately, until the summer. Uh, that'd probably leave a lot of people disappointed. Um, but it does retain all the sort of um, characteristics of the standard speedplay range. Dual-sided entry, low stack height, um, quite small. I'm going to say a little lightweight. The pedal itself is when you add in the cleat the whole system itself or all together is not so lightweight um but yeah they're they're still this sort of sort of they've got all that all the characteristics that the cult following of speed play of which i am one um like about about the, the platform and, and for me personally it's the the adjustability and the way you can precisely set your cleat position that that's what i like most about speed play and i'm glad to see that that has remained on on chains there is minor changes to the cleat but on a on a whole it's it's basically the same system yeah i mean what 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 did they update because they spent well they bought speed play wahoo bought speed play they spent sort of two years tinkering uh they must have made some changes some improvements i i would hope i mean speed play did have some issues over the years they had some durability issues uh yeah, did they do anything on that front to sort of improve the the design? Yeah, you know, most strikingly when you look at the pedal, I've got a nano here and a and a zero. Uh, when you look at them, you can see uh, the the protective cap all the way around the pedal body now. Uh, previously, Speedplay had just used bow tie shaped uh, caps, which which didn't protect the actual pedal pedal body itself, and that was the complaint that a lot of riders had with Speedplay was that if your pedaling style didn't just match the speed play system perfectly. You got a lot of wear on on the pedal body, and, and you could quickly wear out cleats, and you know quicker than you really should expect to wear out pedal bodies as well. So they've they've introduced this new uh, surround cap to sort of combat that wear issue, uh, and then they've also the other issue that a lot of riders had with speed play was the need for regular maintenance. You know, you actually pretty much had to go out and buy the Speedplay specific grease gun and and grease them through a port on the side of the pedal with the old system. Wahoo have done away with that need completely. Uh, they have done away with the greasing port and they have introduced a new sealed needle bearing uh, that they say doesn't require any of that maintenance. I suppose only time will tell. For myself personally, I kind of enjoyed the greasing action and the speed play gone. <laughs> uh, so I, I just I, never did it and then wondered why my pedals didn't work. Yes. Yeah. So that, my, that, my, that pedals never, about my, my pedals yeah. never seized up because I enjoyed doing it and I did it quite regularly. So I'm wondering, will these new pedals actually be less durable for me because, you know, it, it could be just a case of when, when the bearings are gone, you have to replace them. You have no option of, of, of keeping them really, um, 
you know, before they before they are gone, and 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 only time will will tell that. Do you, do you think they've gone down the whole Wahoo route? Because obviously the Wahoo computers are dead simple to use compared to a lot of the other ones out there. They give you the functions you need and pretty much nothing else. So have the pedals gone down that route as well? Sounds like they have. I, they're not. I, they're not there for the, the tech. The super tech heads. I would say yes and no, and that the speed plate pedals have always been. You know, the the dual sided entry is really their their the 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 jewel in their crown uh pardon upon and that offers you know for for those getting getting used to clipped in pedals it's a much easier system you can get the easy tension and cleats that make it even easier again to clip in and out and you don't have to fiddle around you know flipping the pedal over with your shoe and, and clipping in like you do with a single-sided pedal so from that point of view yes they are straightforward and you has as i said you don't have to maintain them as much anymore so yes that's a bit easier but the speed play system is never really going to be easy. You know, the cleat, the cleat itself. I love the fact there's so much adjustability in it, but there is a bit of complication there compared to the, you know, the three hole system from Luke Shimano, basically every other manufacturer. It's just not as straightforward to set up. Yeah. Cause if for someone who's not had speed play cleats before, or doesn't know what they look like, they come with multi layers of of parts that can adjust the the fore aft the side to side I don't know the technical terms but you can adjust like literally everything versus on on a Shimano cleat uh, Shimano cleat or like a look it's just kind of turning it and moving it a little bit but the the speed player I mean for someone with knee problems um, it's a nightmare. And also a dream to have a speed speed play pedals because if you get them set up perfectly, then your your knee issues will just go away. But one tiny tiny little bit off, and you can really feel it. At least that's the experience that I had riding speed plays. I, I like them most because I can adjust the float without stopping the bike. Mm. <laughs> Whereas all the other pedal yeah. platforms, I have to stop and get off for my daily adjustment of my cleats. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> daily adjustment wow multiple times so per day ronan, ronan maybe not the best uh example here if he's uh, adjusting his cleats daily yeah i think you're, you're probably going to stick with speed plays <laughs> yeah. and, and so do we do we still call them speed plays or do we call them wahoo lollipop pedals like what 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 are we calling them here the speed play name uh remains but they are wahoo speed plates do we know anything about the, the power meter pedal coming up uh, any details i mean you know power meter pedals are tricky to to do properly but there's been a lot more of them as of late the Asiomos, the uh srm makes one for example do we know anything about them uh the only thing we know is from a sneak peek in a picture that uh, or an image that that wahoo has released they haven't given much details we can see it looks like a similar system to the favero Asiomo that you that you mentioned there and that is probably the most uh, robust and reliable pedal power meter on the market at the moment. So uh, perhaps that's a good sign that they've uh, followed that that sort of design. They have strangely released the weight, which is 276 grams. Um, given that it seems, you know, I, I did ask at Wahoo for, for quite a bit more information about the, the PowerLink Zero, to which they give me no answers. Um, but it, it, seem, <laughs> it seems strange that the, the weight is already uh, you know that they're so sure of it at the moment that they can actually state what the weight is. It will have a stainless steel spindle. That's that's the other thing we know. We don't know the price. 
we know it's been announced today and we know that it should ship in summer 2021 beyond that not very much i mean if, if it's shipping this summer that means the design is is done right they're they're they're, they're dealing with production they're dealing with uh some of the details there now quick plug for us actually we are going to be chatting with some of the engineers at wahoo speedplay about these pedals uh both the power and non-power versions and that's going to be in a special episode of the cycling tips podcast releasing i believe this friday i think a lot of the questions we have right now are going to be answered in that episode which we are recording tomorrow just to just to finish on a sorry note um wahoo have confirmed that the x series the frog mountain bike pedals and the scissor off-road pedals have all been discontinued and will not be making a return uh wahoo do plan to have an off-road offering sometime in the future but not anytime soon so yeah the scissor was a bit strange it was actually quite a good uh quite a good kind of gravel pedal because the, the 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 feel was really good the feel was kind of road like like road pedal like uh but they just they jammed up too much and they just didn't really work for for you know messy mountain bike cyclocross gravel kind of conditions really so not too surprising that they're they're kind of going back to the drawing board on on those ones they they will honor warranties for as long as stocks last so if you're gonna have a problem have a problem soon <laughs> All right. Well, that is our podcast for the day. Before we wrap up, we just wanted to mention a new cycling shirt that Ostroy has produced. It is hand-drawn, a hand-drawn cycling shirt celebrating pioneers of black cycling from Kitty Knox to Justin Williams. This shirt will help buy and rebuild bikes for young people in underserved neighborhoods. So, the whole goal of this shirt is all proceeds go to help get kids on bikes. You can check it out on Ostroy. That's O-S-T-R-O-Y.com. And not sponsoring the podcast, but it's just something that is really cool and we wanted to share with everybody. So it'll also, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. I already ordered two. Very excited. Is one <laughs> it's for really me? really cool. No, one is for Tom's oh, and one is for me. I guess Sorry. I'll order my own. That's fine. Yeah, you should. We're supporting kids, get, getting kids on bikes. So I am 100% in favor of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Pretty long episode today. We had a lot to cover. There's a lot of bike racing on and a lot more to come. But thanks everyone for listening to this podcast. Thanks again to our Velo Club members. And thank you to Kaylee for so unceremoniously throwing me under the bus and making me house host this episode. It's not out of the bus. I threw you, I threw you into the driver's seat of the bus. That's what I did. I don't did, have a license. Yeah, I didn't teach you to drive first, but that's fine. <laughs> hey, it's more terrifying for the rest of us in the back of the bus. So. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> anyway, Bye, everybody. That's it. Bye.